Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, startup funding gets just ridiculous and reading the latest Mike Bloomberg for President tea leaves. But first, everyone unfriends Facebook. So 2018 has become a year that Facebook certainly wouldn't want any memory reminders of. But for the rest of us, a quick recap. There was the Cambridge Analytica privacy scandal, allegations that Russia used the platform to tamper with the 2016 presidential election, conservatives complaining about censorship, whispers in the White House about how Facebook might be a monopoly. And then this past Sunday, John Oliver even took them on. Our main story tonight concerns Facebook, the worst place to wish happy birthday to a friend other than a funeral because they might inadvertently be enabling ethnic cleansing in Myanmar. Yeah, that's a lot. The only saving grace really for Facebook has been that almost all of this noise has been from outside of Silicon Valley. So Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg could still rest their heads at night inside this, let's call it a warm embrace of a community that still understands they're just trying to do good in the world. But this week, that's begun to change and change pretty fast. As we discussed in Tuesday's podcast, Instagram's co-founders quit without really giving a reason and without any public thanks to either Zuckerberg, Sandberg, or really anyone at Facebook. Then came yesterday's bombshell Forbes interview with Brian Acton, co-founder of WhatsApp, which is the messaging service Facebook paid $19 billion to buy, with Acton accusing the company of everything from selling out its users to effectively having him lie to European regulators. The bottom line here is that Facebook is under attack from the people it thought were its friends, and that not only hurts more emotionally, but it could also make it harder for it to add new friends or make new acquisitions going forward, and it's those new acquisitions where a lot of Facebook's growth has come from. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios tech reporter Dave McCabe. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter, faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined now by Axios Technology reporter Dave McCabe. So, Dave, you read this thing in Forbes yesterday, this interview with Brian Acton, the co-founder of WhatsApp. There was a lot in there, but what was the thing that surprised you most? You know, I think what was most striking and surprising to me were the comments around the interactions they had with European regulators when they were trying to get the acquisition approved back in 2014. Acton told Forbes that he had been instructed to say that it was difficult to link Facebook accounts with WhatsApp accounts, the idea being essentially that you could merge this data, create something more valuable for Facebook's business. He said that he was instructed to say that it was difficult when, in fact, at the same time, Facebook was actively exploring various tactics to do exactly that. In that, is he suggesting that Facebook not only was pulling the wool over regulators' eyes, but his as well? Or does he suggest that he kind of knew what was happening, but he did what he was told? So obviously, it was a Forbes article. It was not a transcript. So you don't exactly know the context of what he said. But he certainly gave the impression that he had been led to do one thing while the company was doing something else. I think an obvious follow-up question that he may be asked if he does more interviews is, how could you not have known that it was possible to do this, right? You're a computer scientist with a strong technical mind, and you understood your system. That's obviously a follow-up question for him. I think the question for Facebook is, were you more aware that the statements you were giving to European regulators, which they were fined for last year, but they said were essentially inadvertent omissions? And after the Forbes thing came out, you usually don't see a public response from a company, and you didn't, but you did get a response on Facebook, of course, from David Marcus, who's a guy at Facebook, best known kind of 
for popularizing Messenger there and, and leading that product and, and most recently moved over into their blockchain project. Give me a sense what his basic response was kind of, you made a lot of money off of us and you didn't really raise these things at least terribly loudly while you were here, correct? Yeah, the pull quote from that note that he put on Facebook, it was like 600 words. He said it was in his personal capacity. Was he called Acton low class for going after the people that made him a billionaire several times over? Uh, more substantively, he took issue with Acton's portrayal the way the company handles founders. He said that Mark Zuckerberg had indeed been very invested in end-to-end encryption once he was sort of brought on board by Jan Coombe, the WhatsApp co-founder. And end-to-end encryption is something the WhatsApp founders really care about. It, it was kind of, and that's a difference from the way Facebook had operated. Right, and it's important because if you can't read messages, you can't use it to help build an ad targeting product, right? And WhatsApp very much believes that this should be on by default. And Marcus essentially said, you know, the idea that Facebook wasn't on board with this once we decide to go ahead with it is wrong. And he also went after Acton for essentially slow rolling, allegedly, the development of an alternative business model other than ad targeting. Obviously, this is sniping between, you know, folks kind of who used to sit around the same table in Menlo Park. Go a little broader than that. When we read Marcus's, David Marcus's response, it does seem a little bit like this is about a much broader frustration than what's just at Facebook. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is a culture clash. This is the culture clash. I am based in Washington. I spend a lot of time in the halls of Congress talking to regulators. And when I'm out in Silicon Valley, it's the same issue, right? It's this clash between a super hyper-growth mindset, the idea that you can build these free services fueled by collection of data to target ads or target something else, versus people who are more privacy-minded, maybe a little bit more purity of service-minded. I think you look at Instagram, the resignations that came this week, that was a service that over time became more and more like Facebook and more and more linked to Facebook. And Facebook grabbed the best parts of Instagram and tried to bring it sort of more into the fold. And, and, and reportedly, that's what's frustrated the founders who just resigned. Let me just switch topics a little bit, which is, as you said, you're in D.C and you spent a bunch of yesterday, there were privacy hearings on Capitol Hill related to technology companies and Google and Amazon and AT&T and a bunch of people testified at it. What was your big takeaway or what should be our big takeaway from what you heard yesterday? I think it's clear that the likelihood of some sort of federal privacy rules was jacked up significantly by the passage of this privacy law in California. It's clear that that caused industry to say we'd rather have federal rules that we can shape than this law in California and potentially laws in 49 other states as well. So that's part of it. I think lawmakers feel like they maybe need to do something more because of California and GDPR. GDPR, which just for those who don't know, is the privacy rule in Europe, right? The European Union rules. Right, which has already gone into effect. And so I think U.S. policymakers, particularly federal policymakers, are feeling really behind on this. However, it's the United States Congress. They're not known for moving particularly expeditious. So they have this hard stop sort of of the California law going into effect in 2020. But I would not make any assumptions about the likelihood that that happens other than that I think it is higher than it was before that law. With everybody testifying yesterday, was Facebook in the room yesterday on Capitol Hill? Facebook wasn't in the room. Why? Shouldn't they have been? You know, I think Mark testified to this was a Senate Commerce Committee hearing. Mark Zuckerberg testified to the Senate Commerce Committee when he did that swing earlier this year. So they've heard from him. They referenced that. They didn't seem particularly upset. You know, I think Facebook has invested a lot in contact with lawmakers over the last year for obvious reasons. And so certainly there was no one who came out and said, oh, who are these arrogant folks who didn't show up, which we've seen a little bit with Google. Google did show up to this hearing. They didn't show up to an earlier hearing on election meddling. And, and that sort of has triggered frustration in Washington. And, you know, we heard some extraneous, it was a privacy hearing. We heard a little 
little bit about China and Google. We didn't hear a lot about antitrust and the monopoly issue. But I will say also this week in Washington, Margaret Vestager, the European commissioner who levied that $122 million fine, she is here in Washington. She's meeting with people. She has a lot of time with media. So I wouldn't be surprised if we hear a response from her on this as well. Among the media is going to be an Axios event tomorrow, Friday morning. Also, the head of U.S. Antitrust, too. I assume we will be streaming that on the site. So check that out. David McCabe, technology reporter for Axios. Thank you so much for joining us. My final two right after this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is just a ridiculous day in the world of startup funding. So in the 24 hours between when I sent yesterday's ProRata newsletter and today's, startups raised over $1.6 billion in venture capital. And that includes four companies that raised over $200 million each. Two of them were in real estate technology. SoftBank took care of those. Another was payments infrastructure giant Stripe, which is now valued at $20 billion. And then there was a company called Butterfly, which makes handheld full body ultrasound systems. So not too long ago, a single deal for $200 million or more would have caused me to drop everything else I was doing and probably focus on it for at least a week. Now, though, it's just a short blurb and we all move on. Why it matters is a lot of these big dollars are indirectly coming from pension funds and college endowments and private charitable foundations, groups that used to view venture capital as maybe giving them a little bit of a boost, but now it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of their financial future. And finally, nearly 300 heads of states and CEOs made the trek yesterday from the UN General Assembly to the second annual Bloomberg Global Business Forum, which is kind of Mike Bloomberg's effort to fill the void created when the Clinton Foundation's annual confab shut down. What you need to know is that Bloomberg himself is spending huge on house races, already past the $80 million he promised and heading for $100 million, with half of that going to female Democratic candidates. Now, Mike Bloomberg might not have decided that he wants to run for president, as his former campaign manager Bradley Tusk told us on a recent podcast, but he sure looks like he wants to run for president, and it could set up an interesting battle of the New York City billionaires in 2020. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, have a great national corned beef hash day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.